MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. Uh, and joining me today for the MSW Book Club, Dana Goldberg. Dana, how are you? Oh, Allison, I am still a little, <laughs> I'm just recuperating from Wednesday. I think everybody is, uh, this is all just a shit show. All the empaths out there, just be gentle. Like what you're feeling right now is definitely the weight of the world. So how am I doing? I'm ready for the election to be over, Jesus. Is that why I'm not sleeping? Is it the empathy? Yes, it is. It is. It. Oh, it totally is. Well, I, I was told once that like, I need to shower every day before bed to get like the energy of the people in the world off of me before I go to sleep, which maybe I should start doing mm. again. Um, I, I was told to do that after my comedy shows because when we're on stage, we're taking in so much energy, but I feel like the empaths of the world right now are just so overwhelmed. Well, we are at the final episode. Well, the penultimate. Um, okay. And so we are going to be having a final epilogue episode with Mary Trump, and uh, we're going to have a discussion about the book and about current events and draw some more through lines, you know, like we talk about um, when we go over these chapters, and it's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I know. I can't wait. It's going to be wonderful. She's wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. She's an incredible person. She's just so great. <laughs> she sent me She sent me a meme today, and it was Mike Pence with the fly on his head, and it said, if the fly laid eggs, you have to carry them to term, <laughs> which was just <laughs> so perfect. There's so many memes that came out of Wednesday. Ugh, but I, okay, let's... Let's actually, I feel like if we talk about the book, even though it's so fucked up, it's still going to be better than talking about Mike Pence. Yeah, it will. But I, you know, I will say that Kamala destroyed him. And so that was beautiful to watch. It really was. She's, well, she's wonderful. I, I, I got my ballot in the mail and I'm so excited. I haven't touched it. I'm so afraid I'm going to do something wrong. So I haven't even opened it, but I'm going to, I'm going to fill it out and get it in the, get it into the mailbox tomorrow and be done with it. And then maybe I can help on election day you know whether it's bringing water and food to people standing in line or whatever i can do but i'm gonna do it yes beautiful uh i haven't heard back on my application to be a poll watcher yet although i'm on phase three so it should be any day now and i start training pretty soon and i, I sent my ballot in yesterday so i'm really excited that's awesome i'm uh, waiting on my application to be a pole dancer and i've also started <laughs> training so we'll see how that goes i have a feeling your application is going to go through first i don't know you win dude <laughs> that's pretty epic uh all right well today is, is part four and it's called The Worst Investment Ever Made. And we're going to go over chapters 13 and 14 in the epilogue. Uh, I'll kick it off here with chapter 13. And chapter 13 is called The Political is Personal. Because, and this ties in because at the end of chapter 12, Mary had received Gam's will. 
at, at which had which carbon copy of Fred's, but they removed Mary's line of the family completely from it. And chapter this chapter starts with Mary telling us that it would be ten years before she would see anyone in the family again after receiving Gamswell. Crazy. And it it was for Ivanka's wedding to Kushner in 2009 at Donald's Club in Bedminster. This is honestly, A.G., one of my favorite pages of the entire book because we get to see Mary's sense of humor come through. It's wonderful. It is. And she starts by saying that the chuppah was the size of Mary's house and it was covered in white roses. And she, Donald was awkwardly standing there in a yarmulke. <laughs> I just <laughs> imagine him. Like, I'm shocked he actually allowed them to put a yarmulke on his hair. I know. I know. It must have taken $70,000 in six hours. Um, At least. And he definitely wrote it off. That's probably what a great junk of the tax write-off was was trying to fix that yarmulke onto his head. Um, and it's sort of like a floating yarmulke, you know, like when a hover yarmulke, do they have those? I don't know. <laughs> uh, don't touch the hair. But uh, it, it, she's so, it's just her description is so funny. And, and that the that the chuppah was the size of her house. And and it's at Bedminster. And, and Donald awkwardly standing there. We know Donald stands like a centaur with back half removed. He, so strange. It's just the weirdest thing ever. And, and she says, quote, Jared's father, Charles, who'd been released from prison three years earlier, rose to tell us that when Jared had first introduced him to Ivanka, he thought she would never be good enough to join his family. It was only after she had committed uh, to converting to Judaism and worked hard to make that happen that he had begun to think she might be worth uh, worthy of them after all. And and Mary talks about the irony here. Both families are garbage. <laughs> Considering Charles was in prison for hiring a prostitute to seduce his <laughs> brother-in-law, which he recorded and sent to his sister at his nephew's at engagement party. His nephew's <laughs> engagement party. It's just one of those things where I'm like, you have got to be kidding. I don't know if she's good enough for our family. I'm like, ah, I think she might fit in perfectly. I don't know. Yeah, she actually might be. Um but no, as it turns out, be perfect oh, for one man. another. So Mary at the at this wedding ran into Rob. And the last time they spoke was 10 years earlier when he hung up on her um, for hiring a lawyer. But he was civil. And then he said, quote, the statute of limitations on family estrangement has passed. Um, and she also saw Donald, who was pleasant, but there was a line forming to greet him. So she didn't hang out for very long with, with uh, floating yarmulke. And then Mary found out she well mary found marianne right her aunt who asked how she yes. was doing right and mary said she was good uh and that her daughter was eight my daughter just turned eight and then marianne cut her off and said oh, i didn't know you had a daughter i know I, I when i read that i was like oh my god and and mary says quote of course she didn't know i had a daughter or that i was raising her with the woman i married after my grandfather's funeral and then divorced or that i had recently received my doctorate in clinical psychology unquote uh, Mary sat down to have a martini. Love that. I hope it's dirty. And yes. it's the only way I drink them. And later, she would see Marianne making a beeline for her and her brother Fritz. And she, and Mary got there. Marianne got there and she said, we need to talk about the elephant in the room and gestured toward the three of them, Mary, Fritz, and herself. Um, and so, all right. So a few weeks later, Fritz and Mary went to Marianne's apartment. And Robert was there. And Mary thought, oh, cool, cool. We're going to be a family kind of, right? We're going to do this statute of limitations on family estrangement is over. But then Rob started to tell a story about how when Trump was in dire financial straits, Donald, in the 90s, he asked Rob to take care of Marla Maples should anything happen to him by making sure she got $10 million. 
And Mary thought, holy shit, that's a lot of money. And then Rob said, what a cheap bastard, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then Mary Ann chimed in and said, quote, around that time, Donald called to tell me I was one of his favorite people because apparently he forgot he had three children. (laughs) Referring to Eric Don Jr. and Ivanka because Tiffany and Baron hadn't been there yet. After that weird-ass gathering, uh, Mary said she and Fritz never met with Rob again, but had spent some time with Marianne and got to know her better. And a couple months after Marianne's 2017 party at the White House, that's the that's the scene where we o- kind of open the book with, that 2017 White House birthday oh, party yes. for the ants. So a couple months after that party, there was a knock at Mary's door, and it was Suzanne Craig from the New York Times. Dun-dun-dun! This is where shit gets good. <laughs> and Mary said... She had uh, she had some journalists stop by, but not for a long time, with the exception of David Korn and someone from Frontline. And Mary was annoyed, and she was like, "It's not it's it's so not cool that you're coming showing up at my house." And uh, Suzanne apologized, said she was working on a story about the family finances, and thought Mary could be of service in this area. And Mary was like, "I can't help you, and I don't talk to reporters." But she took Suzanne card Suzanne's card anyway. I mean, it's such a it's the it's such a good script, you know that. So it happens in the show, mm. you know. If you know anything, call me. <laughs> in the hands of the card. Yeah, totally. All right. If you hear anything, please take this. So, a few weeks later, Mary was confined to her house because she broke a bone in her foot in one of her metatarsals, and she got a letter from Suzanne in the mail, which she again ignored. But after a month of being bombarded with the news of quote Donald shredding norms, endangering alliances, and treading upon the vulnerable unquote. She kept thinking about Suzanne Craig's letter. Like every time a news story popped up, she would think about it. So she called her and she had her card. And Suzanne asked for basically financial documents. And Mary was like, I don't have access to those. But Suzanne already knew otherwise and said, oh, Mary, mm, Jack Bronski might still have them. You should go check that out. Ten days later, Mary went to Jack's office. And when she got there, she was confronted by two giant walls lined with unlabeled banker's boxes. And he, so he wasn't there at that moment, but she began going through them and compiling a list. And Jack returned to the office and told her, you can't take any of these documents because they also belong to your brother. And he, you have to have his permission. That ended up not being true. Um, and Jack turned to leave, but Mary stopped him and said, hey, Jack, by the way, hey, can you remind me again why we decided to settle this lawsuit? Uh, which Marianne had referred to as the debacle. When they'd run into each other at earlier in the chapter at the wedding, like she said, we need to discuss this yeah. family thing about the debacle. And uh, Jack said what he said back then, pretty much word for word, that the you know the costs were getting too high for you, and you don't take I don't take cases on contingency basis. And then added, besides, your grandfather's estate was only worth thirty million dollars. Unquote. Bullshit. And Mary said, Ah, okay, thanks. As she held in her hands the documents that proved the estate had actually been worth close to a billion dollars, and she just didn't know it yet. Oh, it's infuriating. I'm, I'm mad for her mm. in this moment, mm. in, in the book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, cool, thanks, in her hand, yeah. documents proving otherwise. So Mary grabbed a couple of uh, copies of the will, um, at floppy disks with lawsuit depositions and some bank records, all of which she was legally ent- entitled to, and she headed home. And and Sue Sue came by her house. Suzanne Craig came by her house to pick them up, and she dropped off a burner phone so that they could communicate more securely. Dun dun dun! <laughs> I love. I feel like we're in a spy novel now. Keep going. We are. <laughs> and then God. Mary went back. Uh, Mary went back to the office and started going through the boxes more thoroughly. And she discovered there were two copies of everything, which mooted the need 
untrue as it was, to get her brother's permission. So she left a copy for him and took a copy of everything with her and for the New York Times. And she altogether had 19 banker's boxes of documents. 19. And the reporters were in her driveway as she pulled up. And there were hugs all around. It was, she said, it's the happiest I felt in months. Uh, Mary then addressed why she hadn't spoken out until this book came out. She said she finally felt she was making a difference because she didn't know about these documents and now she had them. She said, quote, because being good or doing good didn't count for much in my family. She was talking about whatever you did had to be extraordinary. You couldn't just be a prosecutor. You had to be the best prosecutor in the country. You couldn't just fly planes. You had to be a professional pilot for a major carrier at the dawn of the jet age. For a long time, I blamed my grandfather for feeling this way. But none of us realized that being the best in my grandfather's view had applied only to my father, who had failed, and Donald who had wildly exceeded Fred's expectations. I love this. And I also the thing, and I don't know what you guys spoke about in the interview when I interviewed Mary on my podcast, she basically said this was also the time like when the Billy Bush tape was dropping and all the things that she thought was going to bring him down didn't bring him down. So until she had these papers, and this is what she said, she didn't have enough proof because she knew people were going to question her, question her motives and everything else, but this gave her something substantial. And honestly, people being like, why didn't you speak out sooner? I don't give a fuck. I'm just glad she spoke out when she was ready. I think she's made a massive impact. Yeah, and she told me that too. And she was like, look, if the sex tape didn't bring him down, if the Access Hollywood tape didn't bring him down, nothing I had because I didn't have anything... They were just going to call me a disgruntled, disinherited niece. Yeah. Uh, and and she said back then that, that they would have easily gotten away with that. Nobody would listen to me. So it wasn't until she had these documents. And she did speak out by giving them over to the New York Times. And in October 2018, they published that 14,000-word expose. Uh, and, and once Mary realized her own unrealistic expectations were paralyzing her about having to be the best at, at everything. Mary thought, quote, it's not enough for me to volunteer at an organization helping Syrian refugees. I had to take Donald down. I loved that because I asked her about that line and she goes, I don't think that transferred in the book as well. I didn't mean like, like down out of the presidency. I, she just meant in that moment, but the way it translated was like, <laughs> I'm taking the son of a bitch down. <laughs> I was like, you go. <laughs> Yep. Mm-hmm. And after the after the election, uh, Donald called Marianne, his sister, to ask how she thought he was doing and expected her to do what everyone always did, which would be like, awesome, great job, great boat, great plane. It looks great, Donald. Everything's awesome. But Marianne didn't say that. She said, not that good. <laughs> and Donald said, <laughs> Donald said, that's nasty. Where would you be without me? If you say that again, I will level you. But it was an empty threat. And after she had later offered advice on his summit with Kim Jong-un, Trump, which Trump ignored, they didn't speak much at all after that. And Because uh, Marianne told him, hey, you're going to meet with Kim Jong-un. Study. Read your shit. Yeah. Listen to your advisors. And he just ignored all that shit. So finally, in October of 2018, like I said, the Times published its 14,000-word article. Mary said it taught her more than she ever knew about her family's finances. Her own family. For comparison... By the way, the recent New York Times story by two of the same reporters that put out the one in 2018 that Mary talked to, this latest one is almost 10,000 words, and it's uh, just an overview (laughs) of more reports coming out in the the coming weeks. Oh, God. Keep going. I need more. They need to release another one. Yeah. It was from the October 2018 reporting that Mary learned Donald alone had received $413 million from Fred through questionable means, another $170 million when Donald sold off Fred's empire. 
All of this made Mary wonder what happened to her dad's share, Freddie's share. She also learned just two years after Trump tried to get Fred to sign the codicil, giving Donald total control of the estate, the siblings actually, the reason they got back together again, the band broke up, but they got back together, is they, they, <laughs> they needed each other to hide the fortune, their fortune from the tax man. And they did that by establishing something called all-county building supply and maintenance. And they siphoned large amounts of money from Fred's company through grifts disguised as legitimate business transactions. The ruse was so effective that when Fred died, he only had $1.9 million in cash and no assets larger than $10.3 million. And by the time Gam died, the entire estate was only worth about $51 million. So as the kids pushed it all through their, you know, all-county business to cheat the, the tax system, that's how they siphoned all that money off. And Freddie's family was totally written out of all of that. And in 2004, the entirety of the Trump management, you know, Fred's old shit, was sold by the siblings to a single buyer for about $700 million, which was stupid because had they kept it, they'd each have made 5 to $10 million a year, each. But Donald needed a large infusion of cash fast. And they also could have sold the buildings individually instead of as a package and made substantially more money selling it off for parts. But Donald and his creditors were impatient. They wanted the money fast. And split four ways, they each got about $170 million. And if any of the siblings objected, they didn't speak up about it. Um, Mary saw Marianne in 2018, who thought the article was baseless and meaningless and probably sourced by Jack Mitnick, uh, Fred's old accountant. Mary wondered why on earth the siblings never tried to talk Donald out of running for president, given the scrutiny that he would inevitably face. You know what I realized just now, E.G., as you're reading that? I believe that's when Mary started recording Marianne, because it was 2018, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like, yeah, I'll go ahead and let her think I wasn't the source of this shit. Yep. Uh, and Marianne was unconcerned about the expose, though. And when a court inquiry into her began... All she had to do to end it was retire and take her 200000 per year pension as Jesus. a federal judge. Um, quote, in fact, um, the vast amounts of money the siblings had possibly stolen made their fight with us over my grandfather's will and their drastic devaluation of our partnership share seem pathologically petty and their treatment of my nephew vis-a-vis -vis our medical insurance even more cruel. Yep. Yeah, that's... Uh, so, yeah, once Mary learned all that, and then was like, so they had all this money, and they, they, they siphoned it off from Fred, stole it, hid it from the tax man, and they had hundreds of millions of dollars, and they still took the health insurance away from her nephew, or Mary's nephew. Because they're all assholes. They're and, all assholes. And fought over the will, yeah. Yeah. Hello, everybody. It's A.G. Allison Gill for the MSW Book Club. And if you know me, you know my favorite activities are sleeping and reading the news. And I know we all have trouble sleeping from time to time. At first, I thought I was losing sleep because I was reading the news. But as it turned out, my mattress wasn't designed with me in mind. So I was tossing and turning, waking up, not being able to get back to sleep, having aches and pains. But Helix Sleep to the rescue, right? I got my Helix over a year ago. You know, I've talked about it. It's I've had the most restful nights ever since. It's literally the best mattress I've ever owned, and I've owned them all. Uh, but this was the best, 
uh, because it's literally made with my sleep preferences in mind. Helix has this two-minute online sleep quiz you take online. They, they use those answers, match you with your perfect mattress, and it's incredible. You'll sleep like a baby. I like a medium-firm bed. I sleep on my side, so I was matched with the Helix Midnight. Best decision I ever made. Getting more restful sleep has improved my energy during the day. It's mitigated those aches and pains. Sleeping is so important as part of self-care. Helix has mattresses with specialized cooling technology. They have firm mattresses, plush mattresses, mattresses for all your unique sleep needs. They have over 12,000 five-star reviews. And there's over a billion hours slept on Helix mattresses. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress you're matched to. The mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever have to go to the mattress store again. Just go to helixsleep.com slash book club, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash book club. So if you're sleeping on my pillow guy pillows, Stop that. Helix now, $200, up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Just go to helixsleep.com slash book club. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash book club. You'll be glad you did. All right. So chapter 14. Now, chapter 14, this is like a, a, quite the web, but um, it's called A Civil Servant in Public Housing. And what this chapter does is it ties all together, uh, discussing through lines from the house the white two Trump Tower triplex to West Wing, as well as the through lines from Fred Trump's management to Trump Organization to the Oval Office. So there's a lot going on with this one. So I think sooner than we realize, uh, there's going to be there's AG, there's going to be legal and criminal through lines as well, given like the multitude of investigations into the Trump Organization and Trump's personal finances. Mm-hmm. There, there's we can't avoid it. They can't avoid it at this time. It's in everything. Follow the money, people. Follow the money. So Mary says, and I quote, Donald was to Fred what the border wall has been for Donald, a vanity project funded at the expense of more worthy pursuits, (laughs) not to mention funded by taxpayer money. They've been doing this for decades. So as Donald's fame and appearance of wealth began to grow, he increasingly felt like he had more power. That's obviously what he thought was a cause effect there. Now, in Donald's mind, he accomplished everything on his own merits, and it's easy for him to believe that, and quote, nobody has failed upward as consistently and spectacularly as the ostensible leader of the shrinking free world. Um, Mary's lines during this, I know, during these chapters is just biting. The next one, Donald today is much as was three years old, incapable of growing, learning, or evolving, unable to regulate his emotions, moderate his responses, or take in and synthesize information. We see it every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Uh, so Mary goes on to say that he, the, his need for attention and approval is so strong that his only supporters are people he wouldn't be caught dead with. And he's talking about his base. And she, I'm reminded of, like, this reminds me of former Pence advisor and the task force employee, Olivia, Olivia Troy, who says Donald was happy about COVID so he wouldn't have to shake hands with his disgusting supporters anymore, AG. Like, it's that whole thing <laughs> where he now says this stuff with the Bob Wardboard tapes of he's caught on tape saying this stuff, too. It's just disgusting. Yeah. The only people that will give him attention are people he wouldn't be caught dead with, just like you said. Of course. Uh, but going on, so his insecurities have created like an infinite black hole of need that consistently requires the light of compliments that disappear as soon as he soaked them in. And we've seen that like the round table discussions. So that's clear in the ass kissing that takes place around him every single day. I mean, 
Pence is the worst. Jesus, we saw in the debate. So, like I said, this is like back to him sitting in the in his office at Trump Tower, receiving his daily envelope full of articles about himself back to his childhood. Like we, this has been through line through his entire life, this like propping up of this fake foundation. So uh, Mary says in quotes, his ego is a fragile thing that must be bolstered every moment because he knows deep down that he is nothing of what he claims to be. He knows he has never been loved. Ouch. True. Right? Hmm. Biting his entire life. It's a good thing he's not a reader because he... he Oh, (laughs) I'm home. Can you imagine? Uh, I was like, I mean, he doesn't read these books about him and I don't even know if it would matter. His entire life... His entire life, she says, is a gross behavior, has been normalized by others, and his only true skills, cheating, self, uh, self-aggrandizement, lying, and conning people were interpreted as his strengths. So Mary goes on to say that his nature hasn't changed, and we've, we see that, but the amount of stress he is under has. Now, not the stress of the job of being president, because he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He plays a lot of golf, AG, not doing much jobbing. No. Uh, but the stress, the stress, she actually talks about the stress of being under so much scrutiny. And this is true. This is why he hates those town halls so much. And I, we'll see. I think he's going to take back that he's not going to participate in the debate, but we'll see. But I, that's why I know he doesn't want to be a part of that. But mm-hmm. So plus it's become harder for him to ignore or deflect actual problems because there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. She goes on to say he's not capable of actually solving problems, uh, but it's getting to the point where it's becoming impossible him, for him to cover them up. I mean, there's so many of them. That's the yeah. stress that we're seeing on him day by day. Uh, and here on the bottom page of 199, uh, Mary talks about what props Donald up, and that's the weak people surrounding him that keep him where he is. They're desperate, and their futures are dependent on Trump's success. Uh, this in this this isn't in the book, but that I, might be coming uh, to an end because we we're were failed to see the sinking ship before. They might see it now as we near the election, but I don't know if the rats are gonna. Mm. I don't know if they're going to jump. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they, they, they may be so caught up in this that they have to go down with the ship. But, and like, what about the people in power over him? Like Mary says that after the election, Putin, Kim Jong-un and McConnell, all of which bear more than a passing psychological resemblance to Fred senior mm. recognize. Yep. Recognize that because of Donald's checkered past and fragile ego that he was so easily manipulated by smarter and more powerful men than he and that is the bottom line. And we, I mean, and I'm going to make the comparison. We saw the same thing with Hitler. Mm. Hitler wasn't a smart man. It was the people around him mm-hmm. that propped him up. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yes. And again, we know this, the cruelty is the point for Donald and it was for Fred. But one way they're different is that Donald's always struggled for legitimacy, like legitimacy as the favorite son or as a businessman, or now as we see as the president of the United States, that is evident in his constant efforts to discredit Mueller and the Russian investigation for fear that they might find the election was illegitimate. And like, just notice, notice how Trump, every Trump psychophant, I like to call them psychophants because they're fucking crazy. (laughs) Notice every Trump sycophant constantly refers to him as duly elected president. We know this isn't true. Or how we learned he had an electoral map of his election win posted on the front of the desk outside the Oval Office to constantly remind everyone who entered that he was the legit president, which is funny because I don't know if you remember the first Pelosi meeting where she Mm -hmm. was like, okay, sure. Yep. 
sure you won the the, get the popular vote mm-hmm. and then walked out. Cause she's like, I'm not dealing with this bullshit. <laughs> so uh, we go on his struggle for legitimacy throughout his life has turned into a scheme to make sure no one finds out he's never been legit at all. It's basically why he hides his taxes from us. I mean, that's super clear. Mm-hmm. It's why he's removed anyone and everyone that isn't loyal to him and installed people that protect his ego. Bill Barr is a shining example of this. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call him shining. But he's a little, he's, he's a little doughy, pasty, possibly COVID infested example. We don't know. We he's don't a know. patinaed shit covered example of this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Mary posts that his cruelty shields him by distracting him and us from the extent of his failures. So more egregious his failures are than more egregious his cruelty. That's that's interesting to think about too. Yeah, like the it is. the 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 bigger sh- the like the bigger the shit he fucks up, the more of an asshole he becomes because yeah. his cruelty shields him. It just dis- it yeah. it actually distracts him, not just us, right? But it like distracts yeah. him from it too. And I also think he believes he just believes it. He's he he believes he. I don't know if he believes what's coming out of his mouth, or he just doesn't remember what he says from day to day. But. Mm. This cruelty, though, as we continue, his cruelty is also an exercise of his illegitimately earned power, which we have seen. He only wields it against people weaker than him, which is so crazy because that's basically his base. Mm. Anyway, like why he stopped wrestling Eric and Don Jr. when they got bigger. You remember that? Mm. Or why he whipped the baseball at Mary's glove when they were playing catch Uh, or why he attacked Freddie and Robert all the time. None of them can fight back. We've seen this. Uh, these, he's basically at the mercy of people stronger than him, like Putin, Duterte, uh, you know what? I've had a drink. We'll see if that came out right. Uh, Chairman Kim. <laughs> yeah, and like Erdogan, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, right? MBZ. Yes, all of these people. It's amazing the list of people that we know are more powerful than, than Donald is, and he, he strives to be like them. He looks up mm-hmm. to them. It's crazy. And they're like his father, and so he's at their mercy. That's so creepy. Putin. Ugh. So, but this is the thing. Every time we hear Donald talking about how tremendous or big or the best something is, we have to remember that's him speaking like a three-year-old who desperately is worried that he's inadequate and will be destroyed for inadequacy the way his brother Freddie was. We, that's what we have to remember. He's stuck there. Mm. And Mary says at a very deep level, his bragging and false bravado are not directed at the audience in front of him, but at his audience of one, his long dead father. God, that gives me chills. Right? That line. And that's probably why he why he kisses the ass of these strong men, these dictators. Of course he does. I mean, some people get in relationships with their father. You know what I mean? They, like, marry their dad. Like, Trump is now just trying to impress people that remind him of Fred. It's just gross. It's just gross. And, I mean, even today, for Donald, it's easy to sound smart when you control the narrative. That's the thing. Mary talks about how he's never pressed to elaborate, elaborate or demonstrate uh, his grasp of his underlying facts. Never. Now some journalists are starting to do this, Mm -hmm. but basically he's turned his press conferences into chopper talk. Literally what, what, which, which the, the helicopter conferences so he can pretend (laughs) not to hear the pointed questions. It's, it's always like him trying to talk with like 80 mile an hour wind and the (laughs) propeller next to his head. Yeah. He, 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 and he can pretend not to hear. Right. Uh, yeah. When he's at the helicopter conference, this reminds me of a joke and I can't remember the comic, but they were like, yeah, every time I have sex with my wife, I wear a Bluetooth earpiece. So if I ask for something weird and she's like, what? I can just be like, oh no, I'm talking to somebody else. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. (laughs) 
just to see how she responds to it. <laughs> I mean, this whole thing with like the yellow cop, this is evident in the way he spins COVID. We've seen, and, and I, I actually like to talk to Mary about this specifically with the COVID in his hospital stay, his joyride, all the shit that he pulled, you know, the early release and talking points. This, I would love to talk to Mary about this. We, we, we definitely should. I have a feeling that what some of your, you know, Patrons are going to submit a question about it anyway. For sure. Um, yeah, and the journalists. The journalists who do challenge Donald are told to shut up or called nasty and are dismissed, often female journalists, as we've seen. But now mm-hmm. he does it with everybody. Mm-hmm. Especially women of color. Especially yes. women of color. Awful. Uh, now, and Mary goes on and quotes, and we must dispense with the idea of Donald's strategic brilliance in understanding the intersection of media and politics. He doesn't have a strategy. His bluster and shamelessness just happen to resonate with certain segments of the population. And he doesn't have the ability to drop a narrative once proven wrong. Like the Central Park Five, for example. They were proven innocent. He mm-hmm. still he still will not face the fact he he took out a one million dollar full page ad in mm-hmm. the New York Times calling for their hanging. Yeah. Ugh. I can't. So what we face now is basically, end quote, the end of result of Donald's having continually continually been given a pass and rewarded not just for his failures but for his transgressions against traditions against decency against the law and against fellow human beings the lies become true in his mind as soon as he utters them but they're still lies it's just another way for him to see what he can get away with and so far he has gotten away with everything yep and that is the end except for the epilogue Yes, except for the epilogue. And I'll, uh, I can go over the epilogue here really quick. The epilogue actually has a title. It's called The Tenth Circle. It should be called The Tenth Circle of, of Hell, Hell at this yeah. point. But yeah. <laughs> Dante's Inferno, right? <laughs> and in the epilogue, Mary confronts her fears on November 9th, 2016, and how she knew he would kill people, but she couldn't imagine how, right? We all had the same. We were, you know, we were all like, yeah. this is going to be the death of people. We don't know how yet. Kate McKinnon, hell up a sign on Saturday Night Live that said he's going to kill us all. Yeah. Mary thought maybe a disaster of his own making, like a war that he would stumble into like a fucking idiot. But she couldn't have anticipated the kids in cages, the betrayal of our allies or the COVID epidemic, um, she says. And she talks about Trump's initial downplaying of COVID and how it underscores his need to minimize negativity at all costs. Uh, Fear is unacceptable. Superlatives are no longer enough. Everything is the likes of which no one has ever seen. We've heard that so many times. She said he didn't drag his feet dealing with COVID because of narcissism. He dragged his feet dealing with COVID out of fear of appearing weak or failing to convince anyone and everyone that everything was perfect. But his failure to face the truth led to massive failure anyhow. It's so mind-blowing to me that Mary was able to finish, by the way, finish this book so that it was so timely. Mm-hmm. And and still holds true within the co in the pandemic. I mean, she she really must have busted her ass to get this out during this time. Mm-hmm. And then she said it would have been easy for him to be a hero. All he had to yep. do, all he had to do was take the Obama pandemic manual down off the shelf, right? Could make a couple calls, invoke the Defense Production Act to get PPE and ventilators to everybody, or allowed medical experts to give the press conferences, which he tried at first, but then kicked him off. None of that would have required much effort on his part. But instead, quote, while thousands die alone, Donald touts stock market gains. As my father lay dying alone, Donald went to the movies. If he can in any way profit from your death, he'll facilitate it, and then he'll ignore the fact that you died. That quote 
is chilling and it's everywhere and it should be because it's true. Yeah. And had she written this after her, her uncle Robert died, it would have been when Robert died, he went golfing. Yep. Um, you know, it's, and, and he just continues to prove this over and over and over. We now have, I think we're up to 200 and almost 15,000 people dead in this country. He hasn't acknowledged it really. He said, don't, you have nothing to fear, nothing to fear. So except umbrellas and rain and, wind toilet uh paper on your shoe toilet paper on your shoe so if it was easy for him to be a hero why didn't he do it why didn't he just do it and mary says because i've asked this too like it would be so easy for you to be everybody's fucking hero if you would just get your shit together and do this thing and you don't even have to do it the experts will do it you just have to tell them to do it or, or stop telling them not to and mary says in part because like my grandfather he has no imagination the pandemic didn't immediately have to do with him and managing the crisis in every moment doesn't help him promote his preferred narrative that no one has ever done a better job than he has. And she continues that Donald is simply incapable of acknowledging the suffering of others. Telling stories of what we have lost would bore him, and showing sympathy would associate him with the weakness of others. And David Korn wrote, quote, Everything is transactional for this poor, broken human being. Everything. Even acknowledging a threat would indicate weakness, and taking responsibility would open him up to blame. Therefore, being a hero is impossible for him. Isn't that incredible to think about? Because to be a hero, you have to acknowledge a threat and take responsibility. And he's incapable. Same with the Black Lives Matter movement, right? To be a hero, he would have to call for unity. But Donald requires division because Fred taught him the only way to survive was to turn your family against each other. He turned his siblings, you know, the siblings against each other. That was the only way to survive. And I also think he's taking, you know, playbook notes from Putin and Putin wants us to turn on each other. So I think those two things like put together Donald's history with Fred and the strong, you know, his, 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 um, role model Putin, those two things together just created a fucking disaster. Yeah, And that's what makes Putin like Fred. Yeah. You have to divide, divide, divide. So division and chaos. It's all in the GRU manual, and it should be the Fred manual. Um, and Mary says, I can only imagine the envy with which Donald watched Derek Chauvin's casual cruelty and monstrous indifference as he murdered George Floyd. Hands in his pockets, his insouciant gaze aimed at the camera. I can only imagine that Donald wishes it had been his knee on Floyd's neck. <sighs> And she says, instead, he withdraws to his comfort zones instead of dealing with problems like Fox News and Twitter. He can't escape McDonald's, the bunker. He can't escape the fact that he has and always will be a terrified little boy. And she ends with, quote, the country is now suffering from the same toxic positivity. Interesting phrase, right? Toxic positivity that my grandfather deployed specifically to drown out his ailing wife, torment his dying son and damage past healing the psyche of his favorite child, Donald J. Trump. And then quotes his fa quotes Fred here saying, everything's great, right, toots? Because that's what uh, Fred used to say, uh, you know, after a million broken bones and uh, of gam, you know, oh, everything's right, everything's great, right, toots? Everything's great. That was sort of his cover-up. But this whole thing, toxic positivity... To drown out his ailing wife, torment his dying son, and damage past healing the psyche of his favorite child, Donald Trump. Yeah, so that's super, super heavy. And I can't, and I can't wait to talk to Mary about 
about this stuff next week. I'm super excited about that. It's going to be too. so fun to have her on here and um, to go over, you know, not just some of the more current events and the questions that everybody submits, um, but, you know, just to, to have her on here to sort of wrap everything up and have all these through lines that hopefully finish in, with federal prison. Oh, that would be lovely. Mm, indeed. Absolutely lovely. I mean, I'm just looking forward to it. I just, I love talking to her and I think the three of us together are going to have a blast. We are. And do you have any final thoughts before we uh, get out of here for the week? No, I mean, I don't even know if I do. Like, we're we're on the home stretch, people. Just keep taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you need a break, take a break. Tag us in. I'll cover for you. <laughs> That'll work. And until, uh, until next week, until we talk with uh, Mary, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. And for reals, take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And that's the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. <laughs>